imagine that this has happened or is happening to you and that it's like beyond belief. And you'd have to tell someone the truth about yourself and your circumstances. But in this case, it's really happening. And it's a horrible disgrace to you. It's a truth about you for which you're not responsible, over which you've had no control whatsoever, and the real truth of which you, you know that even those who love you cannot possibly believe. What if this fact about you will make them despise you? It'll make them possibly hate you. It will make them no longer want to be your friends. Even your family can't possibly believe the truth about what's really happened as you try and tell them what's really happened. All the evidence points in the other direction. And so you're exposed to ridicule, distrust, disgrace, loss of relationships. You are labeled a liar. Now, this story will sound absolutely absurd, but listen. What if you really had been captured by aliens? Okay, now you think, well, that's not a possibility. But let's imagine for the moment that you really were captured by aliens. Let's imagine that you were taken away for three days and during the whole time you were gone, you'd been subjected to experiments done on you by these aliens in which they put a new derivative of cocaine into your system. Okay? So they're checking out this new derivative of cocaine, these aliens are, and they have ulterior motives, and so they've captured you in order to experiment on you. Experimenting on you with cocaine was actually part of a plot hatched by the aliens decades ago in which they had introduced earthlings to addictive drugs as part of a strategy to eventually destroy humankind. After three days of testing, completely undetected by anyone, they returned you to Earth, placing you in the bedroom of a house known by the police as a place in which cocaine was distributed. When they place you in the bedroom, they also leave with you all the apparent evidence of you having been in the room for a couple of days, along with the evidence that you've been doing cocaine while there. Maybe a crack pipe, a mirror, straws, a dirty mess, maybe vomit, whatever. You're wearing the same clothes you were wearing when you left your house three days ago, and the $500 that you withdrew on the day you disappeared, taking it from your joint account, in the presence of your spouse who was there, with which you said you were going to buy Christmas presents, that money is gone because the aliens, smart as they are, took it knowing what all of this would look like. To top it all off, because you were subjected to cocaine for three days, you're now addicted, even though before your abduction, abduction you'd never been a drug user. So the continuing impact of all of this is that you now have a cocaine habit that is obvious to anyone who spends time with you. Those formerly close to you now find you repulsive. Your spouse, though she cares, cannot possibly believe this crazy story. She wants to get you help, but she's totally embarrassed by you. You tell her your story to, and to anyone else who will listen, but absolutely no one will believe such a crazy tale, so you're exposed to ridicule, distrust, disgrace, loss of relationships, and you are labeled a liar. That sounds pretty ludicrous, doesn't it? But the part that sounds ludicrous about it, of course, is the alien part. Because I don't know of any of you who really is believing that aliens are abducting people on a regular basis. Now, then something crazy happens. Two weeks after your abduction, 
Without you knowing anything about it, your spouse comes to you and tells you that she too was abducted by the aliens. They did no experiments on your spouse other than to try and find out uh, if there was any part of your story that your spouse believed prior to her also being abducted. Your wife assured them that she did not believe any of it and that she's shocked that the story is true and that aliens really do exist. She's a little surprised at that. The aliens then tell your wife that they're going to let her back to the earth, but if she tells anyone what has happened, that the aliens will again abduct you, and this time they will not return you to earth, but will keep you for the rest of your life for further experimentation. Your spouse, because she's so frightened, tells only you the story, and the aliens never contact either one of you again. Nonetheless, because your wife now believes your story, she assists you in overcoming your, co- can- your cocaine addiction, the two of you move out of your city and start your lives over in a major metropolitan area 500 kilometers away. So there's two of you now who believe it. And you believe it because it happened to you. But there is absolutely nobody else who's going to believe this story because it's so absurd. But you know it happened and your spouse knows it happened. Now, if you think that that story is a little too crazy, listen to this one. You're a 15-year-old girl living in a culture with very high moral standards. One night, when you're all alone, you're just crawling into bed, when unknown to anyone else, a creature unlike anything you've ever seen suddenly appears to you and begins to tell you your future. You're not sure if you're seeing things or if what you're experiencing is really happening. Maybe you're dreaming. But the creature assures you that what you're seeing is no figment of your imagination. He goes on to say that without ever having been with a man, you're going to have a baby. And that the baby will have special significance, will be the most important child ever born. This child will be the fulfillment of all your hopes and dreams, and he'll fulfill the hopes of all of humanity, including those of your own people. Your pregnancy will come about in a way that you will never understand, but pregnant you will be. You're to have the child, raise it as yours, but the child will eventually be, if you can believe this, the son of God. To top it all off, you're engaged to a man whom you dearly love, and because you're pregnant, you're going to have to tell him that you're having a baby. You tell him the whole story, but of course he doesn't believe you. No one believes you, and they never will. Because angels don't come and tell women that they're going to be impregnated by God. Then shortly after fiancé hears your story, he comes to you and tells you that an angel has visited him too and that he now believes you. So the two of you, having an outrageous story to tell, try to convince your family and friends that you're telling the truth. They, of course, don't believe you at all, are convinced that the two of you have simply had premarital relations and have concocted this whole story to try and justify what's happened, and they would, with time, accept things as they are if you would just stop all this talk about strange creatures visiting you and about how this child of yours, which now looks just every bit like every other normal child, has been the son of God and is so splendidly special. Just stop that kind of talk. And so you are exposed to ridicule and distrust and disgrace and loss of relationships and you are labeled a liar. Now my thought is that the story about the aliens is not all that much different than the story about the angels. 
Not really. How many women, up until the time that Mary had Jesus, had been visited by angels and told that they would have a child that was the Son of God? Not any. It's an absolutely unique story. And one that is very, it's compelling not to believe it. It would be easy to not believe that story. It's a crazy story. It's a fantasy story. It's as crazy and as much fantasy as Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or whatever you want to come up with. And yet, this woman accepted it. She believed it. Now, I don't celebrate the Virgin Mary. I don't pray to her. I don't think that she was in any sense divine. I don't think she was a perpetual virgin. I think that she and Joseph had other children. I think she was a sinful human being like all other human beings. But I admire her. I admire Mary. I admire for what she experienced and I admire for what she went through. And let me tell you why. First, I admire her for really listening to the angel. I admire her for giving his words a chance. It would have been such an easy thing for her to say, I've gone off my rocker. I must have seen a vision. This can't possibly be reality. And yet she trusts and she believes. I want you to read these words with me from Luke chapter 1. Look at this story. One month later, God sent the angel Gabriel to the town of Nazareth in Galilee with a message for a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to Joseph from the family of King David. The angel greeted Mary and said, You are truly blessed. The Lord is with you. Mary was confused by the angel's words, to say the least perhaps, and wondered what they meant. Then the angel told Mary, Don't be afraid, which would have been a challenge. God is pleased with you, and you will have a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be, as great, he will be great and will be called the Son of God Most High. The Lord God will make him king as his ancestor David was. He will rule the people of Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I'm not married. And what she means by that, of course, is I've had no relations with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come down to you and God's, Spirit will come, God's power will come over you so your child will be called the Holy Son of God. Your relative Elizabeth is also going to have a son even though she's old. No one thought she could ever have a baby but in three months she will have a son. Nothing is impossible for God. And now look at Mary's words. And this is amazing to me. Like Mary doesn't at this point say, no, don't do this to me. Mary doesn't say, do you realize that I'm going to be a disgrace? She doesn't say, I can't handle this. You've got to choose somebody else. Mary instead says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you've said. And the angel left her. 
That's amazing to me. That is amazing to me. I can't imagine the kind of faith that it would take for her to respond that way. And I admire her for that. A second reason I admire her is that she's strong enough to not totally give up when she doubts, when no doubt she had doubts. Twice the Bible says that Mary treasured in her hearts the events surrounding the coming of Jesus. It happens first when the shepherds come and they say that they have seen angels. And she thinks about the message of the angels and says that she now treasures these things in her heart. It happens again when Jesus decides to take a detour on the way home and he goes to the temple. Remember the story when Jesus is 12 years old and he goes to the temple instead of going back to Nazareth with his family at the conclusion of the festival? It's amazing to me that at that point she doesn't begin to doubt about this son of hers and who he is and wonder. But it says that she cherishes these things in her heart. What other things did Jesus do as a young man that would cause her to have doubts? Many of you ever had a little boy who it sometimes didn't do exactly as you would want him to do. I have confidence that Jesus was in many respects just a normal little boy and did things that his mother didn't always want him to do. I'm thinking that Mary had to occasionally discipline her son Jesus. And wouldn't you have had some doubts as you begin to to watch this little boy grow and you have to discipline him or you have to teach him? You have to shape his character the way that any mother would. I admire Jesus or Mary for teaching Jesus, guiding him, caring for him, especially in light of the fact that probably Joseph died early. You know, we don't have any record of Joseph after Jesus is 12 years old. It's very likely that Mary spent much of her years raising a family on her own. And she takes care of Jesus, and I admire that. I admire her for bearing the pain of the separation that she must have felt as time went on. Look at this text. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and brothers came and stood outside because they wanted to talk with him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and want to talk with you. Jesus answered, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who obeys my father in heaven is my brother or sister or mother. And I'm thinking that in some sense, this experience of Mary must have hurt. There must have been a point in which she was saying, I don't understand what my son is doing. I don't understand why he's going in this direction and why he even acts as though I'm not as important to him as maybe some others, mothers are to their children. And then I admire Mary for years holding on to the hope and letting Jesus be Jesus when it was time. You remember the story of the woman who has the wedding and she's married at Cana of Galilee and the water jars are filled with water? And then Jesus turns them into wine. Do you remember what Mary says to the people when they come and say, there's no wine? She looks at her son and she says about him, do whatever he tells you. And it makes me think that as she pondered all of these things in her heart, that there comes a time when Mary is ready to let her son do and be what her son is going to do and be. And then I think about Mary at the cross. 
In John, the story is told of how Jesus is on the cross and says to the Apostle John, Behold your mother. And what's happening is that Mary herself is standing at the cross looking at her son dying on the cross. And she's watched him now for all these years and she's listened to his ministry and she's cared for him and loved him recognizing that there's something special but now she has to watch him die. What would it be like to see your son hang on the cross? Even even if you knew who he was, even if you understood at some level what was going on, isn't there a part of you that even at that point would be wanting to say to God, No! I don't want this. Don't let this be. But my impression is that by that point in the life of Mary, she had accepted what it is that Jesus was doing and that within her there was an intense kind of faith that perhaps you and I can't possibly understand. And only she could understand is the mother who sees her son hanging on the cross. So there is an absurd story. It's a ridiculous story. Angels coming and visiting a woman who's a virgin and putting a baby within her. That sounds crazy. Clearly, however, Mary totally accepted that story and with time totally recognized her son as he hangs on the cross as the son of God. And my question for us this morning is, what do you do with this crazy story? What do you do with this absurd story? This story that the world treats sometimes like a fairy tale. As absurd as aliens. As absurd as Lord of the Rings. What will you do with it now? What will you do with it in the next few days? What does it mean to you? It's very possible that you're a guest with us this morning. This might be the only time all year that you come and join our assembly. And what I want to say to you this morning, if that's who you are, is that this story, instead of being absurd, instead of being a fantasy, something ridiculous, is at least evidenced by the life of Mary, is the most important story ever told to human beings. It's the only story on which anyone can hope. It's the only story in which you can put your life and put your, ha- your life into the hands of God in the process where God can take you and do something with this story and this baby who comes and that eventually dies even before his mother on a cross. It's the only story that can provide for you life and hope and love and peace and the hope for the world. And so this morning there are all kinds of people gathered here 
And for us, it is not at all just an absurd story. But like Mary, we believe this story. And we trust this story. And we put ourselves in the hands of the one who is the fulfillment of this story. And I I pray this morning that those of you who maybe don't know the fullness of this story and haven't applied this story in your own life, that you will. That you'll take seriously the call to faith and belief and trust and to see what Jesus offers to all the world as the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you this morning for the example of Mary. God, thank you for her faith, her willingness to endure. Thank you for helping her to overcome the ridicule. Thank you for helping her to overcome the pain. Thank you, God, for helping her to release her son and allow him to be the Savior of the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us with faith and help us to take what is on the surface an absurd story and to recognize the truth there of the hope that you have for the world in Jesus. Help us, Father, to give ourselves to that story and to make it our own. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, please.